0: So we, uh, we're in the Gospel of John. Uh, an amazing passage in chapter 7. Last week we, we read about how Jesus had, had, had um, even though he knew that the chief priests and the Pharisees and his opposition were in process of trying to, to assassinate him, uh, he walked into the center of Jerusalem political and religious power and began teaching and preaching. And not only that, he called out the religious elite. Uh, in public. Uh, and then when they tried to arrest him, he uh, amazingly was able to evade them and disappeared. And then today he's going to show up again in a most unwelcome way to uh, the rulers of, of the Jerusalem religious elite. So um, with that, uh, can I please ask you to stand one more time as we listen together intently to God's word. First, let's pray that he would uh, illuminate us to his word. Lord, we thank you uh, for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for the, just the beginning of our, of our worship and our liturgy. We're Already we have seen that we are condemned under your law, but it's not where you leave us. Lord, you have worshipped uh, by, the, by, the, by, the, by the incarnation of your son that you have brought us into relationship with you and into a saving grace with you through the work of your son, and you've reconfirmed that to us in brightened our hearts and our spirits to know that you love us, Lord, to know that you have paid the penalty for our sin. And so we thank you, Lord, for assuring us that we are yours. Um, Lord, we pray today, as we go through this passage, we pray that um, as we so often doubt that your promises are true, we doubt your goodness, we doubt whether we can trust you. Lord, we, show that, we pray that, uh, that you would show us that you are the only true source of life and how we would dry out without you. We pray that you would show us how to trust you and to immerse ourselves in the beauty of this eternal quality life that you are giving us, even now. Lord, please show us uh, in Jesus' name. This is God's inerrant word from chapter 7 of John's gospel. Verse 37, And on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In order for this to really even make any sense, what just happened, the heaviness of what just happened and what we read, I have to give you the background of what's going on with this Feast of the Great Day. This is the Feast of Tabernacles, and this is the, it's a seven-day-long feast. This is the last day of the feast called the Great Day. Um, it was basically about two things. The Feast of Tabernacles was an autumn harvest feast. Uh, but it did two things, essentially, it looked back, it looked back towards the wilderness wanderings of the nation of Israel when God had provided for them uh, in the middle of the desert, specifically how God had sustained them in life through the miraculous food and water, the bread from heaven, the manna uh, that, just, that came down from heaven, which Jesus then talked a lot about in chapter 6 a few weeks ago. Uh, but also the water from the rock, when Moses struck the rock in the wilderness and his staff with his staff and water gushed out of this rock to give water to the people as they, uh, as they wandered through the desert. Um, this feast was looking back to them to that time when God provided for his people in the wilderness of the desert. But it was also a time of looking forward. It was a celebration of looking forward to uh, the time when God would fulfill all of these promises that were in the scriptures, that were in the prophets. Um, So even though Israel had been conquered by a foreign power, even though they had been exiled into foreign nations, um, even though they were currently a puppet state of Roman power, even though there was no real way to figure out who was the legitimate heir to the throne of David, still the, the prophets were full of all these unlikely promises that someday God was going to come and raise Israel up again and they were going to overtake the world under the rule of this Davidic king and bring blessing uh, and salvation to the entire earth. And so the Jews, even though they were in this unlikely position, where honestly, you know, if you really looked at where they were at in history, there wasn't much chance of, any th- of that happening unless God miraculously intervened. And so they held on to that hope with all they had, because it was really all they had. Uh, and, And one of the ways they held on to this hope was by these festivals, these festivals looking forward to the promises that God had made to them and looking forward to the time when God would come through and fulfill these things for them. And so on this day, the last day of the feast, called the great day of the feast, the priests would have a solemn procession to the pool of Siloam. That's going to be important in a a couple of weeks when we get into chapter 9, so make a sticky note of that. Put it on the front of your brain. They would, f- they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would fill these golden vessels with water as the congregation of Israel around them sang from Isaiah 12. And this is, what, this is what they sang from the beginning of Isaiah 12. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. Priests would dip the golden Pitchers in the water in the pool of Siloam while people sang, with joy you draw water from the wells of salvation. And then as they returned to the temple, they would sing the Hallel Psalms, the songs of ascent, the celebration songs of ascent that Israel would sing going into the temple on feast days, including Psalm 118, which said this. They would sing as they entered through the water gate of the temple. Not Richard Nixon's Watergate, but a different Watergate. They sang, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. And then they all sang together, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then the priests and the procession would circle the altar seven times on the last great day. And the priest would walk up the ramp to the, to the altar of Holocaust, the altar of whole burnt offerings. He would pour the water in a silver funnel, which would then stream the water down into the altar place, while they all sang out from Psalm 118, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Save us, we pray, and give us success. And at that exact moment, in the congregation of Israel, this rogue teacher stood up in that solemn moment, and he shouted out at the top of his lungs, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that heavy? With the background context of what he's saying, of all of those passages that we know, all of Israel circling into the temple, singing these messianic songs, shouting out for God's salvation, dipping water into the pool, into the wells of salvation and asking for God's forgiveness. And they come in and Jesus shouts out in an answer to their prayer. And so the big idea, the thesis, the big lesson that John wants us to understand, Jesus wants us to understand in this passage is this. Jesus promises in the Scriptures to give eternal life to anyone who wants it. Real simple. Jesus promises in the Scriptures to give eternal life to anyone who wants it. So let's break that down. First, Jesus promises in the Scriptures. Verses 37 and 38. And so on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That, so here's the deal. There's a lot of controversy about when Jesus says, when Jesus says, um, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Uh, It's an uneven split that some people think it's it's ambiguous. We don't know who the he is, right? The way the the ESV translated, it kind of gives you the impression that the he is the person who believes or the person who comes to Jesus will will be the one who becomes a fountain, a fountain of of rivers, of living water. And in a sense, that's true. There's scripture passages that back that up. But the other possibility is that the he uh, is Jesus, Uh, And I think given the context, given the fact of what Jesus is talking about, given the whole storyline of what John has been teaching us up to this point about how Jesus is the one who is fulfilling all these Old Testament scriptures, I think both of those things are true. But I think primarily, as usual, this has a lot more to do with Jesus than it has to do with us. And so I think what he's saying, what he's promising is that Jesus is the river of living water promised In the Scriptures, we've so far come to the up through the chapters reading how John has been teaching about how all these major themes of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the Passover Lamb. Jesus is um, the spiritual Exodus, bringing his people out of the bondage of slavery and death. Um, And this festival is all about God's provision in the wilderness, specifically about God feeding his people with the manna from heaven. And we just learned in chapter 6, we just went through that, that giant dialogue where Jesus is saying that the manna was not the true bread from heaven, but that he was the true and living bread from heaven. In other words, the manna was pointing forward, it was a picture to teach us about what Jesus was and what he would do, that just as the bread sustained their biological life in the wilderness and the desert, in the same way Jesus was true spiritual food who was able to sustain our life our spiritual life through this current spiritual wilderness. And, and also, this is about um, the water. Now, who can, I already gave it away in the intro, who can tell me how the Israelites got that water in the desert? The rock, right? The water in the rock in Exodus chapter 17, the, the Israelites are moaning and complaining again, oh, why have you brought us out here to die in the desert? Wasn't there enough water in Egypt and all that? Uh, and so God says, go to the rock, take the people out, go to the rock, hit the rock, strike it with your staff, and then water flows out, uh, and, it, and it, fulfills, it fulfills their need for water. And it's Psalm, here, listen to this from Psalm 78, this is a, a recounting of it. In Psalm 78, it gives us a little more information. It says, he split rocks in the wilderness, rocks, plural, in the wilderness, and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, what's John saying? Same way that the manna was a picture of, of the true spiritual bread, in the same way Jesus, is a, that, that water from the rock is a picture of Jesus as the true spiritual drink, as the, as the sustaining water, the living water from heaven. And how do we know that for sure? When we interpret the Old Testament, what's the right way to interpret the Old Testament? How we think, or how the apostles interpreted it? The right way is always how the apostles interpreted it. And here is, the official apostolic interpretation from Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, that he passed through the sea, that all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now that doesn't mean that there was a rock that was following them through the desert, right? I think he means temporally. That rock was a picture of the true rock that followed them in God's salvation history. The rock that gushed forth the water that brought living water, as the psalm says, rivers of living water out to the children of Israel was a picture of Jesus, the true and living water that sustains us in eternal life. Now, so why, why is that important? Here's the big reason why that's important. Um, it means that when Jesus is making promises, it means he is able to back them up. He's not just standing up in the temple and saying, like a used car salesman saying, Hey, trust me, I'm the water of life. He's directing them to the scriptures. He's saying, I am what? The scriptures have foretold for a thousand years, so that you would be able to know what that rock symbolized in the desert, what the rocks that was recounted throughout all the ages of Israel in the Psalms. So you would know what the true what the true meaning of that was. And and he backs that up with this prophetic record in the scriptures. Uh, that shows that God foretold what he was fulfilling and what he was doing a thousand years before he did it. That's some credibility and some backup. And the, the, the reason that's important is because, man, isn't it just there's a lot of people making promises, right? Every, every, every leader of every religious organization, every, religious, every religion the world's ever known, Buddha's made promises, Krishna makes promises. Uh, Mohammed made promises, right? Joel Olstein makes promises. Your Instagram feed is making promises. Um, advertising agencies, for sure, making all sorts of seductive promises that are telling you, "This is the water of life. If you drink some of this, it will quench that thirst." and then you'll be okay. You know, the, you know, the crazy thing is that we all, kind of, we all kind of know that's not true, experientially, because we've done it. We have bought the car that we didn't, you know, need, or we got that thing that we think was gonna quench the thirst, and it ended, ended up didn't do it, or for a couple of months it did, and then it died off, and then the next thing, the next promise, the next seductive promise came along, and we jumped at that one, and it worked for a minute, but then it died out. And there was, it wasn't able to do what it promised. And so this is important to know because, I mean, we're just assailed with all these promises being made to us. But Jesus, when he stood up in this temple, when he stood up in front of all those people, he wasn't making an empty promise or a promise that couldn't be verified. He made a promise that was verifiable, uh, from the Old Testament scriptures saying, this is what my father manipulated time and space and history and recorded it and preserved it through the power of the Holy Spirit to give to you so that you would know that there's only one true living water that will quench the real thirst that you have and that is Jesus and none other. So Jesus makes a promise. But what is he promising us? He's promising Point one, Jesus makes a promise. Point two, promise to give us eternal life. Um, when I graduated from seminary, we got to take this vacation to Seattle. It was amazing. Um, beautiful city. We, we got to stay downtown in this great hotel, this Victorian hotel with all this. It was, very, it was an older hotel. It wasn't like refurbished Victorian. It was like the same stuff from the 1800s, but it was nice. It was clean. Uh, and, and then it was right downtown, so right downtown was, it was tourists, 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 and then eight o'clock the sun started going down, and it was drug addicts, crack dealers, prostitutes, um, and then, you know, and then right, like a couple blocks away was this ferry that took us over to Bainbridge Island, which was this little island with, uh, it was this beautiful little, like, it was just pine trees, and little quaint houses, and it was, we almost didn't come back, because Nisa loves the little quaint house, the suburban neighborhood. I love drug addicts, crackheads, (laughs) uh, you know, and and so she's, and I love boats, and I love water. She's like, we need to just stay here, and buy this house, every day you can take a boat ride, and hang out all day with the drug addicts, and then I can stay here, and then you can come home. Amazing. The other thing about Seattle, which was so amazing, was the water, the greenery, the rain, the mountains, the, the snow. It was, it was what, you know what it did? It showed us how San Diego is not so much a city, but a theme park. It's a, we're in the middle of a desert, and the only reason that we are not dying of thirst right now is because there is an enormous... Technological wonder called the California Aqueduct, which is bringing billions and billions of gallons of water to us every single day. I was reading about it today. There's the pumping station on One Point pumps, 15,000 cubic feet of water per second. That's a lot of water. And even so, I mean, even though we're in a drought or have been in a drought, it's still pumping this life-giving water to us without which we would be in big trouble. You know, what happens, what would happen if that aqueduct failed? Can you imagine, I mean, do you know how many millions and millions of people live in Southern California who are depending on that aqueduct, that flow of continuous water to us? If it failed, or if it stopped bringing water, we would not have enough water. We would literally run out of water, we would start dehydrating, and we would start, people would start dying of thirst. We would have a real drought. Real death. When there's a, you know, when you're when, when you're getting dehydrated, dying of thirst is an awful way to die. You you're, uh, if you dehydrate. Your joints become dry. Your eyes become dry. Your intestinal tract becomes dry, and it can't process. You have cramps, awful pain, uh, and then eventually your blood pressure begins to drop because the, the, the your blood. Your blood levels begin to drop. The sodium levels go up. You begin to have seizures. And then eventually the, your blood level, your blood pressure goes down so far the organs begin to fail. Your lungs can't bring oxygen to the rest of your body and eventually you have heart seizure. Your heart fails because of the loss of this life-giving water and you die. Um... It's almost, it's very close to what David describes in Psalm 32 about becoming spiritually dry because he's holding on to his sin. If you read that psalm, it's a, he's, really, he's giving this description, this poetic Hebraic description of, of a carcass that's been left out in the desert that's being all the life juices are evaporating in the desert sun and the bones are bleaching out. Uh, and he, as a, a desert, he spent a lot of time in the desert. He knew what that looked like, and he's he's equating this to being cut off from the vibrant spiritual life of the Lord. Had led him to feel just like he was making this beautiful, this not beautiful but awful, terrible metaphor. I feel spiritually just like that animal looks, who is dying and dehydrating out in the middle of the desert. And when Jesus says, you know, just using water here, and and John tells us that he's using it to, equating that to the Holy Spirit, and he's using, he brings up whoever thirsts, he's using thirst as a metaphor for this deep spiritual longing that we have, and he's using water as the metaphor for the the life-giving power of the Spirit, the only thing that's able to really satisfy that thirst that we have. You know, does anybody else here suffer from an occasional low-level dissatisfaction with life? <laughs> I love how honest you guys are, most of you. <laughs> you know, if you just feel it. It's like no matter what you do, except worship. <laughs> anything other than worship no matter what we try to buy or get or achieve or conquer or win over or get for ourselves to to, to quite, i mean i mean there's some you know there's god has given us legitimate desires and there's legitimate ways to go about enjoying that but there's if we try to there's an underlying thirst a sp- which is, a, the Bible is a saying, a spiritual longing that we all have, and we try to cover it up or quench it with all these different things, and it ends up not working, and it ends up we have this low-level, or sometimes high-level dissatisfaction with life, because we're focusing on we're drinking the wrong thing. We're trying to get satisfaction out of the wrong, wrong thing. Something more, something new, something missing. And the something that's really missing is a vibrant spiritual life. We can almost fill it with these other things. We can distract ourselves from it, but eventually it kind of bubbles back up to the surface. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the thirst that he means and what he offers to fill it uh, are these river? This is this abundant river of water coming out from Him. There's one more scripture that's important to look at, considering this, and that's in Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel's talking about this new temple uh, in the end days. That's going to be this new temple that's built. It's ma- it's gigantic and massive. And one of the foundations, or one of the features of the temple, is that under the threshold, out from the temple, is gushing. This fountain of water that goes out to both seas, and as it goes, the farther out they go, they measure the water, and every time, every, the farther out they go into their thousand yards, the water gets deeper and higher and wider and bigger, and it enters into the seas, and it turns the seas into fresh water, and everywhere it goes, it's bringing this abundant life, and fishermen are, are rejoicing because all kinds of new fish are there. and it's, it's a picture of this gushing water coming out of the temple, and everywhere it goes, it's, it's Covering the earth, making the seas fresh, and bringing abundant life everywhere that this water goes. And here's the last line. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, they will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor the fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves will be for healing. Now, what did we learn in chapter two about Jesus? Can Anybody remember? Jesus is the true and real temple. And the same, the temple was the, was the dwelling place of God. And Jesus says, the temple, just like the manna, just like the water from the rock, just like the Passover lamb, just like the festivals, Jesus is saying the temple itself is a picture of the dwelling place of God on earth with men, and I am the true temple which therefore in Isaiah is picturing forward as the true temple being this place where this fountain of rivers flowing out, bringing life to the whole world. And listen to this. This is, the, this is almost the last line of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22. This is the beginning of chapter 22, and then, and then verse 17, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's, a, it's a bringing forward that picture from Ezekiel chapter 47 of Jesus as the new temple, pouring forth these rivers of life to his people and hit the trees that are growing up, bringing healing and restoration to all the nations as the covenant of grace goes out and restores people and brings them into fellowship with God. And then on verse 17, it says, "The spirit and the bride say, "Come, and let the one who hears say, "Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price." That's Jesus. <laughs> He is the water and the river of life that is flowing out to us. What he's promising to give us, this eternal life that he's promising to give us, is his spirit, which is now flowing out from heaven, from the true temple of God, out of him. He is the only and true aqueduct of spiritual life. And this is talking about, this is bringing our, to our minds that an aspect of Christ's, what Jesus did for us, his work that we don't talk a whole lot about. We talk a lot about the life of Jesus. We talk a lot about the incarnation of God. We talk a lot about how the life of Christ was, fulfilled the law for us. We talk about the death of Christ a lot, how his crucifixion paid for all of our sins, how his resurrection is the, is the first fruits of the resurrection of all of us. It's God showing that, that he was successful in his work to us. But there's another aspect of that called the ascension, where Christ ascends into heaven, and when he ascends, what is he able to do? He's able to pour out his spirit onto all flesh, onto his people. And so what, let's boil this all down. Okay, it's abstract theology. Let's come back down to right now. What does this mean? What this means is that right now, even as we sit here, as God's people that Christ is now in heaven and he is, we can't see it. I wish, man, would you be awesome if you could see it like the matrix or something? Like, you know, just and it light penetrating all of us. But there's, there's this river of light and of life pouring out of Jesus in and through all of his people, bigger than the Amazon River, bigger than the Ganges River, bigger than the uh, Mississippi River, bigger than the Congo River, the Yangtze River, bigger than all the river systems on earth, Jesus is now flowing from his person, this river of life that we as Christians are connected to, and what that means for us is that because we are connected to Jesus in this current, flowing, dynamic, powerful, spiritual life that when we come to our physical death, it will have no power over us. We will conquer it and when we will move through it because his physical, his spiritual life, which he has given to us and which now flows through us is even stronger than death. So Jesus makes a verifiable promise to us that his word is true. It's proven by prophecy a thousand years before he came. The promise is that he will give eternal life to his people to, and, and he will give eternal life to, to point three, to anyone who wants it. So point one, Jesus promises in the scriptures. Point two, to give eternal life. And point three, to anyone who wants it. And when he says anyone, he means anyone. Look at where he is. He's standing in the middle of the temple. He's saying, you chief priests, you Pharisees, you cops in the back who are here to arrest me, you guys over here who are conspiring to kill me, you people who think this, uh, you tax collectors, you Republicans, you Democrats, you drug addicts, You prostitutes, you teenage runaways, you name it, anyone, anyone, whosoever believes in me, if anyone thirsts, let him come. It's a wide open, free offer of eternal life to everybody within his hearing and everyone within his hearing now as we speak his words. And he's within anyone's hearing that you go out and speak these words. Open promise. Open invitation. So if that's true, why, is it, why isn't everybody saved? I mean, doesn't that sound like the best news in the whole world? Is, they call it the good news, right? Why is it that not everyone's saved? Why doesn't everyone take it? Here we have water. This is, um, actually, I pulled this out of the river of the water of life. Um, actually, I, did, I got this from, uh, well, when we were on that same vacation, we went to the Columbia Ice Field, uh, to the, Abath- uh, the Abath- Ab- Abathasca Glacier, which is one of the biggest glaciers in the North American continent. We took this giant monster truck bus up these giant steep, Uh, ice sheets to this glacier on top of this mountain and we were able to put our water bottles under the flow of this glacial water that had been frozen for 10,000 years untouched by man and we we filled our bottles up with this pure perfect water. This isn't it. We drank it. (laughs) But let's pretend this is glacial water pure untainted full of minerals It's perfect to sustain life. This will refresh my body and reconstitute my cellular structure. It will sustain life in a way that no other liquid on earth can. But the taste, meh, doesn't do a whole lot for me. On the other hand, oh yeah. You see that? Can I get a close-up? Do you see the the sweat dripping off of that can? Just cold and frosty and inviting. Let's open that bad Larry right now. Mm. Just the sound of it just makes you start slobbering, doesn't it? (laughs) Ah! This is mostly water. But it's got, um, whoa, it's got a bunch of high fructose corn syrup, phosphoric acid. Yeah, that's good stuff. Within 10 minutes, first 10 minutes, 10 teaspoons of sugar hit my system. It's 100% of my recommended daily intake. The only reason you don't vomit when you drink it is because the phosphoric acid this cuts the sweet flavor. Within 20 minutes, my blood sugar spikes. My liver responds with a flood of insulin, sh- turning massive amounts of sugar into fat. Within 40 minutes, the caffeine absorption is complete. My pupils dilate. Blood pressure rises. My liver dumps more sugar into my bloodstream. That's the best part. Uh, no, and then 45 minutes, my body increases dopamine production. Same thing that happens when you do drugs. Dopamine floods your system. And you have this feeling, immediate feeling of well-being. But then comes the inevitable crash as the sugar and the caffeine wear off, right? So on the one hand, you know, I've got pure, refreshing, minimal-rich glacier water, long-term blessing and goodness. What does it do for me right now? Meh. Not much. On this hand, mostly pure water, high fructose corn syrup, phosphoric acid, insulin dump. Uh, just just causes havoc in my body, um, but it hits right now, and it's good right now. And so most people don't ex- they don't want Jesus because. They want this. They want it now. They want the bang. I want the bang right now. Whatever that is. You know, and you know, you name your flavor. You know what it is. I know what mine is. You know what yours is. Um, could be myriads of different things, but whatever it is, it gives you instant payoff right now. We we'll also know it creates sadness and pain later, which is what God wants to protect us from. His law is not. His law is because he loves us. His law is because he wants us to to be healthy, to be blessed, and to be a blessing. He wants us to have the long-term blessing of the water and to miss out on the destructive long-term features of the sin. And so, you know, this is how we do it. We're like, "This this is how we live. We wonder why we have that low-level satisfaction of life. It's because we're like, oh yeah, I like that. Oh, that looks pretty good. Nah, no, I want some more of that. Whoa, oh, help me, Jesus. Not really, not really. Oh, forgive me, Jesus. Yeah, buddy. Hey, it's Sunday. No, I went to church last week. My Bible. I get a point for that, right? There we go. Yeah, and then we go. Mmm. My spiritual life, man. Oh, it's good. And we go down the road, and we're anemic, and we're depressed. And we have that low level of dissatisfaction with life because we've immersed ourselves in this. And we have not immersed ourselves in this. And I get it. It's hard. Man, it's hard to say no to the instant, you know? And, you know, God knows that too. How, how, do, you, how do you go about reorientating yourself from immersing in this to immersing in this? Do you think about it? Sit at home and think about how much better water would be for you. Study water. Do we, you know, how do, you know how you do it. You start drinking it. And at first, your body rebels. No, I don't want that, I want that. Your mind rebels. I don't want this, I want that. But as you go along, all of a sudden, you become reacclimated to this. And this becomes beautiful. And this becomes beautiful not just good for you, but it becomes, the, the, it becomes good to take into your body and this starts to taste like what it really is. Amen? So, let's conclude. Jesus gives us verifiable promises through the scriptures. The promise is that he will give us a new and better quality of life that sustains us even through physical death, and the more we participate in that life now by immersing ourselves in the things of God and in glorifying God and in worship and in awe of God, the more our desires come in line with that and the more we then become rivers of life to everyone around us. Remember what he said to the Samaritan woman? He said, the water that I will give him or her will become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's what I want for us as a church. I don't want us to be people who come in here and play church. I don't want us to be, I want us, we're small enough to know each other well enough to encourage each other in a real and sustainable way to begin immersing ourselves in these things of God so that we can then become these rivers of life so that when we go out into the world, we're giving life and we're giving water and we're giving beauty from the beauty that's flowing through us from what Jesus is and what he's given us. So I'm, let's all be praying for that. I'll pray for me, I'll pray for you, you pray for me. And let's do that. Let's be that kind of church. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, for the beauty of it, the way it challenges us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for all your good gifts, for glacial water, for Coca-Cola and moderation, and um, all the beautiful things that you've given us. Lord, we pray... um, Lord, we pray that we would trust you. We pray that when when we hear your promises in your word, that we would look at that and say, that is more verifiably true than my own desires and my own feelings and what I might want for my life. I pray that you would help us to trust your word and what you say is true even more than what we want to believe is true. And that's a hard thing, Lord. Without your spirit helping us, we won't be able to do it. We will fall victim to our own desires every day. But we know, Lord, that you are powerful and that your spirit is flowing in and through us and that you are changing our desires and that it is your good pleasure, it is your will for us to sanctify us through and through in mind, spirit, and body. So we pray that you would do that, Lord. We pray that you would help us to day by day to be immersing ourselves in your word, to be immersing ourselves in a rhythm of prayer, to be immersing ourselves in service to those people around us, to be immersing ourselves in in dying to ourselves and our desires to serve our families, to serve our husbands, to serve our wives, to serve our children, to serve our church, to serve our our co-workers, the people that you put in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would bring up, up that river of life up into us, in such a way that it would just overflow and that when we opened our mouth, we would praise you without fear and that when we did something, we would do it for your glory and we would be free of all these, the selfishness um, that makes heavy going of life, Lord. We pray that you would grow us and we pray that in and through it all, we would be praising you and that we would have hearts that were on fire with gratitude for the salvation that you have already won for us in Christ. Help us to stay, keep steady. Help us to run well. Help us to run fast. And help us to run well all the way to the end. When you will come and get us and we will uh, be reflecting on this life and your beauty forevermore. We thank you, Lord, all all you do for us and everything you are. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.